The Schizophrenic 60s. Music, part one. 1960 and 1961. If in the 60s was a land of a thousand dances, that was also a land of diverse musical tastes. Never had popular music been so popular. And more and more significantly, never had a decade of music, like the decade itself, been so schizophrenic. Opening with solo voices from the 50s of Connie Francis, Pat Boone, Ricky Nelson, as well as the mellow surfing sounds of the Beach Boys. Visited mid-decade by rock groups from a foreign shore, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Herman Hermits, as well as from the Supremes, their Motown sound, awakened by the folk songs of Simon and Garfunkel, Joan Baez and Bob Dylan, shaken by the acid rock of the counterculture and the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, The Who, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and all the unconventionality that blossomed from the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco and Fillmore East in New York. By the end of the decade, with the opening of the musical Hair, with its hints of nudity and promise of the age of Aquarius, rock music and enigma to many a few years earlier had made it big in establishment theater. The fact that the 60s was a period that bridged relative tranquility and profound unrest was clearly reflected in its popular songs. As a people, Americans were shaken by a plague of political assassinations. John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, Medgar Evers. An all-out conflict in Vietnam, the first war in modern American history, to meet with widespread domestic hostility. From the standpoint of popular music, no other decade in this century experienced such extremes in popular tastes. In a period of a little more than 10 years, popular music went from doo-wop and bebop to good vibrations of the California surfing sound to Detroit's sleek Motown beat to Beatlemania to Rolling Stone's mayhem and then into a shrill manic acid scream. More astonishing still was this much of this dramatic diversity coexisted, proving that America had become a land of a thousand tastes. 1960. As the decade opened, music black music producer Barry Gordy created his Motown Music Factory in Detroit, Michigan, and a star-making factory it would be. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, 1960. The Marvelettes, 1961. The Supremes and Dionne Warwick, 1962. Martha and the Vandellas and Stevie Wonder, 1963. The Temptations and the Four Tops, 1964. A solo Diana Ross in 1967. The Jackson Five in 1969. But high on the charts that first year of the decade were some names familiar from the 50s. Elvis Presley had, his, had at least four hits. Stuck on You, It's Now or Never, Surrender, in his version of the 1926 Al Jolson success, Are You Lonesome Tonight? This last, the sentimental ballad, a hit in 1959 for J.P. Morgan, was Presley's 14th number one single, and he recorded it in a marathon two-day session, which also produced It's Now or Never, a song with a melody based on an 1899 Neapolitan tune, O Solo Mio. Older Americans were acquainted with Jolson and Morgan's Are You Lonesome, and with versions of Now or Never as Mario Lanza and Tony Martin, There's No Tomorrow in 1949. And these two Presley records helped broaden the King's appeal across America. Easy listening radio stations continued playing It's Now or Never. It became, according to the Guinness Book of Music, Presley's biggest selling single, with more than 20 million in sales in America and abroad. Presley later admitted that It's Now or Never was also his own personal favorite. During its eight weeks at the top of the charts, it outsold the season's novelty hit Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini, 15-year-old Brenda Lee's tearful I'm Sorry, 
A Tale of Unrequited Love, Roy Orbison's Haunting but Beautiful, Only the Lonely, and Alley Oop by the Hollywood Argyles, a group that would never again score a major hit. Kathy's Clown, 1960. Though Don and Phil Everly had already had nine consecutive hits, Kathy's Clown, number one in the spring of 1960, proved to be their biggest seller ever, a smash simultaneously in England and America. The brothers had recently signed with a new label, Warner Brothers, and were under pressure to come up with a hit. At home in Nashville, Tennessee, Don wrote the song about his high school girlfriend and their traumatic breakup, which left him feeling like Kathy's clown. An incident that happened five years earlier. In record store sales, the single revived strong competition from Johnny Horton's Sink the Bismarck, Connie Francis's Everybody's Somebody's Fool, and the most successful instrumental single of the rock era, A Theme from a Summer Place by Percy Faith. Theme had been at the top of the charts itself for nine straight weeks. The music was composed for the 1959 film A Summer Place, which starred teen heartthrobs Troy Donahue and Sandra Dee. It would again become a hit in the 1976 disco version. For 1960, Billboard voted Theme as the year's number one single. Off-Broadway, a small-scale musical with a score by Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt opened. It would prove to be the longest-running production in American theater history up to that point. The Fantastics. It produced two single hits, Try to Remember, and it's Soon It's Going to Rain. 1961. And this year, when the movie West Side Story opened with Natalie Wood and Richard Bremer, when, when surfing caught on in the newest California craze, the word runs seemed to dominate the musical charts. Roy Orbison claimed to have written his running scared in five minutes. One writer called the song a paranoid bolero with musical strings. Dale Shannon, born Charles Westover, wrote his strange-sounding runaway after hearing another musician play an unusual chord change from A minor to G on an organ. Dion McMusey based his runaround Sue in a real-life runaround named Roberta, though coincidentally he married a woman named Sue. It shot to the top of the charts in early winter, displacing the dance craze hit single Bristol Stomp by the Dovells, and Bobby V had a hit with Run to Him. All of these run songs came on the heels of Johnny Preston's 1960 hit Running Bear, about an Indian of that name in love with Little White Dove. 50s teen idol Pat Boone had a comeback hit in Moody River, and Ricky Nelson, also on the 50s chart, made a comeback with Travelin' Man, which he introduced on his family's TV show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. It followed a string of four singles that had failed to make it into the top ten. As it turned out, the record's flip side, Hello Mary Lou, also became a hit, climbing the charts to number one in the spring. Travelin' Man passed the Shirelles, Mama Said, number four. The Shirelles, the, record, the recording industry's first female rock group to enjoy a single hit, had begun in 1961 with the country's top popular song, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which would become a classic oldie but goodie. In fact, that phrase was in the title of one of the summer's most popular ballads. Those oldies but goodies remind me of you, by Little Caesar and the Romans. Two hits of a different nature were Lawrence Welk's plucky harpsichord rendition of Calcutta, originally written in 1958, entitled Tivoli Melody. The duo pianist Ferrante and Treasure's version of Exodus, from the score of the successful movie, was also another hit. Other hits, Neil Sedaka's Calendar Girl, Connie Francis' Where the Boys Are, from the classic teen film that made Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a mecca for college students and a nightmare for locals, 
The Shirelles, dedicated to the one I love, 1934 Rogers and Hart tune. D. Clark's Raindrops, two twisting favorites. Gary U.S. Bond's Quarter to Three and Bobby Lewis's Tossin' and Turnin'. Ray Charles, Hit the Road, Jack. Jimmy Dean's Big Bad John. And out of the Motown factory, the Marvelettes, Please Mr. Postman, the first number one single for the Detroit label. To the pop music scene, it was a sure sign that Motown sound was here to stay. The year's best-selling novelty song was The Tokens, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, number one in the country at Christmas time. The group took a South African folk song, Wimoe, which had been a hit for Miriam Macabre and Zulu a decade earlier, and added English nonsense lyrics. After listening to the playback of the recording session, the five male singers were too embarrassed with their novelty song that they considered not releasing it. In fact, they put a Portuguese folk song on the flip side, thinking it would have greater success. The Lion enjoyed three weeks at the top of the charts. Well, now next week, we'll go to 1962, 63. Now, the source for this, Panati's Parade of Fads, Follies, and Manias, The Origins of Our Most Cherished Obsessions by Charles Panati. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question. Leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.